Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I want to talk to you today about a story that I think really uh, leads up to Easter and leads up to the journey uh, of uh, the resurrection. And it's found in the book of John, chapter 4. And this, it's this incredible story of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman. And, um, and today I want to talk to you from the subject, the water and the well. If you would turn to your Bibles in John chapter 4, I want to read one verse there and then another one in chapter 7. John chapter 4, we're going to go to verse 13. And Jesus said to her, verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. One more, one more verse, John chapter 7, verse 37 says this, and on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Come on, do you feel like you need um, a restoration in your heart, in your soul today? Let me tell you, you're in the right place. You've come in before the right God. And I just want to pray right now, God, as I speak, I pray rivers of living water begin to well up on the inside of us. God, I pray an oasis uh, begins to be birthed in, in dry hearts, God. And I pray right now, souls that are searching, find you today, Lord God. And all under the sound of my voice, Holy Spirit, may your words be spoken. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. 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 One of the... Um, one of the locations that we were able to visit when we uh, were in Israel towards the end um, of our trip was the location of Jacob's well. And it was so cool to be able to visit this place that is an ancient location. Uh, the Greek Orthodox Church built a church over the well. And this well is ancient. It was ancient in Jesus' time. It was 1,800 years old when Jesus showed up at the well. It's over 3,800 years old now. And they built this stunning church. It took them 100 years to build this church over the location of the well because multiple things kept delaying it time and time again. And in 1993, when they were coming close to completing the work, a radical Zionist who hated the crosses and hated that it was a church and a place that he believed was a Jewish holy site, came over the compound walls and threw grenades into the sanctuary and, it, and blew up all the work of the church. He had an axe with him and he chased down the Greek Orthodox priest, the caretaker of that place, and he murdered that caretaker in the sanctuary of the church. Obviously, this was a horrific circumstance, so they closed the door, locked him up, left the church in disrepair. They brought the keys to Jerusalem. But there was another Greek Orthodox man in Nazareth that felt the call of God, and he said, this church shouldn't remain this way. He went to Jerusalem, got the keys, opened the place back up, and he began to restore it all on his own, painting all the murals again, painting uh, the pillars and the, uh, the stone structure. But wouldn't you know that a couple months later, that same radical uh, uh, terrorist climbed the walls again, he threw grenades into the church again, and he chased after this new priest with an axe again. But this time, he met his match. The priest fought back. He broke the guy's leg, put him under citizen's arrest, and they came, they came and arrested that guy. 
And uh, little did I know when I'm walking down to see this well that I was going to meet the, the baddest priest to ever live. This little old man that's breaking legs like John Wick over here. It was amazing. And while we were there, he, in broken English, told us of the, the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. It's, it's one of the famous stories, the most famous in all of Scripture, and it's truly an amazing story. It begins with the declaration of Jesus saying, I must go through Samaria. This wasn't a little statement. This was a pretty radical statement. It would have shocked his disciples to hear it. Because the, the thing is, they don't like the Samaritans. The Jewish people and the Samaritans... To put it lightly, they hated each other. They didn't speak to each other. They would cross the, the side of the road when they saw the other coming down the road. They, they fought wars with each other. There was bad blood that went back hundreds of years. See, the Samaritans were Jewish people that were left behind when the Babylonians raised the temple and took the Jewish people into uh, captivity. These Jewish people that were left behind began to intermarry with the different tribes and nations that were left and and they became a mixed race of people, and they actually began to mix in their old religious practices with new religious practices. And they had a, a sort of a form of Judaism that wasn't the same as the Jewish people had. And so when the Jewish people came back to repair the walls of Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, the Samaritans and them instantly hated each other. In fact, the story goes that when Nehemiah and they were trying to repair the wall, there were groups of people plotting subterfuge and even trying to attack them to stop the work of the wall and stop the work of the restoration of the temple. These were the Samaritans. Obviously, they didn't get along. When Jewish pilgrims were, were going to go to Jerusalem, they had to cross through the nation, the, the area of Samaria. Samaria. Because there were so many attacks, they would go all the way out of the nation, all the way, multiple days journey around Samaria just to avoid them. Even the disciples did not like the Samaritans. There was one time when Jesus was in Samaria, and one of the towns, finding out that we, he was headed to the temple in Jerusalem, uh, uh, said, you cannot come to our city, and we're not going to provide any food for you. And the disciples were so angry, they said, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire on them? And it's like, Jesus, like, you don't even have that kind of authority. Who do you think you are? You're like, you're a fisherman. You're not Elijah. I don't, I don't know what you... He said, I came to restore men's lives, not destroy them. But the, the disciples are ready to go, you know? Let's bring down fire. Let's cut ears off. Let's do it. So you can see that Jesus saying, I must go through Samaria, is a pretty amazing statement. And, and even more so that the, that the God of the universe has to do anything is amazing. I must go through. I have to go through. What Jesus is saying is there's a divine appointment for me there. Jesus never, ever did anything by accident, never spoke a word uh, 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 flippantly. He never went to a place just by accident. He said, I must go to Samaria because there's a person there that needs me. And so I'm going to go to them. The reality is you didn't come to Jesus. He came to you. And the appointment was not set one week or one year ago. It was set from the beginning of time. Where God said, I'm going to meet them in this church. I'm going to meet them in this place. And so Jesus went through a place that, that hated him. See, it's a small picture of really the whole world. It went through, through a land that disregarded him as a Jew, but he went through it anyways. It's, it's, even though he knew the world would reject him, he came to the world anyways. And he came to a woman that was in desperate need. And the Bible says that around 12 o'clock noon, Jesus arrived at the temple. At 12 o'clock noon, Jesus arrived, sorry, not at the temple, Jesus arrived at this well. And we know 
what this well looks like to this day. We can see it. It still exists, an ancient well dug by Jacob, used by people for thousands of years. And the Bible says that Jesus arrived at this well in the middle of the hot Middle Eastern sun, in the middle of the day. And the Bible says he was thirsty. He was tired from his journey. And there was a lone woman at the well drawing water from it. The disciples went to go get food, so it was just Jesus and this woman sitting here at this well. The interesting thing is this woman is coming to the well alone because, see, that's not, that's actually not how it worked. How it worked was that the women would actually get the water in the beginning of the cool of the day. They would, they would miss the desert sun, but she wasn't there with them. It was that they would go and they would get the, the water for themselves and their families and their children and then for their livestock, but this woman came after the livestock. She wasn't able to go with the community. She came alone. What we see here is this woman is rejected by her own society. She's rejected by her community. And we're going to find out why. Because of her lifestyle and what she did, she was ostracized, she was isolated, and she was an outcast from an outcast community. And this is who Jesus comes to. These are the type of people that Jesus said, I must go to them. I've got an appointment for them. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how far out you think you are. Jesus has set a pinpoint on you. He's walking towards you. He wants to be with you. And he's got something specifically for you. Not by accident, but set by God himself. And Jesus begins the conversation in such a brilliant way. He begins it just talking normally, saying, hey, can I have a cup of water? What I love about this, and this is just a side note, but, but he doesn't begin, he doesn't begin the, the, the conversation of evangelism with saying, like, hey, uh, what Ten Commandments have you broken? He just says, hey, we're at a well. I'm thirsty. Can you give me some water? He's so normal. He's just so human, you know? And this woman is shocked that a, that a, a Jewish rabbi whatever talk to a Samaritan. Never mind, share water. That's like sharing a meal together. This is a no, 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 no. She says, how could you ever ask me for water? Don't you know who I am? I'm a Samaritan woman, and you're a Jewish rabbi. We shouldn't even be talking to each other. You shouldn't even be in this place, and you're asking me for a cup of water? I don't know. Jesus said, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water because I got the living water. And she goes, oh yeah, you got the living water? Where's your bucket? Where's your cup? You got nothing to draw it with. Are you greater than Jacob? He built this well, and we've all been drinking of it for thousands of years. You don't even have the utensils appropriate to get the water. I love her response. We're all pumped because of the spiritual nature. She's just talking about like, you don't even have a cup. Just physical. She doesn't understand the spiritual circumstances that's happening. And that's so us. We miss God's spiritual things all the time. We miss what God's trying to do in our life all the time. We're stuck on the physical way. It's not possible, God. You want to bless me? Well, I've seen my check and I've seen my tax return. I know how much he makes. And I know what my boss said the other week. There's no possible physical, technical, tangible way that you could ever Bless me. How are you going to get the water? Where's the raise going to come from? How, how am I going to pay this bill? How, how am I going to solve it? Have you met my kid? Something's wrong with him. How are you going to heal this kid? What's going to happen here? All of the technicals seem like it can't possibly be fixed. All of the technicals say I'm stuck in this place. 
Don't you even know why I'm here in the middle of the day? It's because my community has rejected me. Now you're going to ask me for water? They won't even let me get water with them. They won't even let me be a part of the talking and the town gossip and the hanging out. And now I got to talk, I got to talk to you. We're not allowed to talk. Now you're talking about living water. I don't understand. Here's the reality. God's always trying to do things far, far above what we can understand technically and physically and tangibly. That if you could just pause or if you could just ask the Holy Spirit, God, what are you trying to do here? He's always trying to supersede the natural with the supernatural. And this is what he's doing with this woman because, see, it wasn't really water that Jesus needed and it wasn't really water that she needed. She needed something else. She says, she says, how could you possibly get this living water? And this is the most incredible response from Jesus. He says, if you drink of the water that I have, you're never, ever going to be thirsty again. But if you drink from this well, you're going to be thirsty again. In other words, I've got something that you don't even comprehend. I've got something that's so supernatural. I've got something that you really need. You keep coming to this well day after day but I've got something that can satisfy the true cravings of your soul. This water, it only satisfies for a little bit of time. And everyone that drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again. And I can attest to that because I drank of that water. I'm telling you, I said, like, I'm going to, I'm going to get myself in Scripture. When Jesus said everyone that drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again, that includes Jordan Boyce 2019. I'm in scripture. I just let you know, it's, I'm kind of a big deal. I, I got into scripture. We put, we put the bucket down. It still, still works. It's, it's a deep well, 130 feet deep, and, and the water's a little bit bitter, and, and it's just normal, average, everyday water. But Jesus says, Jesus is using it as a metaphor for something so much more spiritual. She had a real need that was beyond just a physical need, and isn't that us? It's not just bread and water that we need. It's not just money. It's not just a home. It's not just physical needs that we need to be fulfilled. There's a thirstiness in the soul of every human. There's a desperation in the heart of every man and woman. There's something deep inside of us that we cannot, we know cannot be satisfied by natural things. And Jesus is using the natural water to talk about an inner dryness an inner thirstiness, and he's saying, I've actually come to bring this kind of water. And she says, well, Rabbi, if you can give me that kind of water, that'd be very helpful, because I have to come here every single day to draw water from this well. She still doesn't get it. I got to come here every day, and if you could give me one cup of water that would satisfy forever, that would be really helpful, because this is horrible. I come every day in the heat of the day, to get water. I come every day ostracized from the community. Every single day she's reminded of her shame. Every single day she's reminded that she's an outcast. Every single day she's having to do physical hard labor just to keep her life going. Every day she's stuck in a cycle. Every day she's in a pattern. Every day she's caught doing the same thing over and over and over and yet it doesn't truly fulfill. And Jesus is saying it's not just water that you're stuck in a cycle and you're stuck in a cycle in your life. You're stuck in patterns in your life and you're not yet fulfilled. And Jesus is saying, I'm come, I'm, I've come to fulfill the deep things spiritually that you're stuck, that to, to fulfill the deep thirst that you have spiritually and to break you out of the patterns that you have spiritually. 
See, Jesus came to pull you out of the, the patterns of, Jesus came to pull you out of the patterns of all the things you're doing to fulfill the void in your heart and that you always have to fulf- continually do. Jesus came to say, I'm going to put a stop to that. I'm going to put a stop to that. Patterns of addiction. I can break you out of that. Patterns of denial. I can break you out of that. Jesus came to a woman that could not help herself. Jesus came to a woman that could not ask for him to come. She didn't pray. She didn't do anything. She didn't plan. She didn't go to the right place. She was there at the wrong time. He was the wrong he was the wrong ethnicity. She was of the wrong social caste, and that's who Jesus comes to. You got to understand he comes to you. Not because of anything you've ever done, ever could do. He comes to you because he is God and you are not. He is grace and that's what you need. He's fulfillment and you're hungry and dry. He's the living water. And he says, and when you drink of me, you'll never be thirsty again. She says, give me that living water. And he says, okay, go get your husband. And she goes, ah, I, I, don't, I don't have a husband currently. And he goes, that's right, you don't. You've had five. And the guy you're with now is not even your husband. Now, in this society, they would have absolutely looked down on her for this. Five is a lot. Even for our society, five is a lot. But for then, five is a lot. In other words, something is critically wrong. She's stuck in a cycle of brokenness. She's stuck in a cycle of unfulfilledness. She's stuck in a cycle of searching. And here's the interesting thing. She's going from man to man to man, and she can't find through man anything to satisfy her soul. She's going from person to person, and yet she's still broken. Person to person, and yet she still has an inner thirst. Person to person, and yet she can't find completeness. Man after man after man. Broken relationship after broken relationship. I'm here to tell you, just because you have come from a certain sort of background, when you meet Jesus, doesn't mean it will continue. It gets broken when you meet Jesus. Just because there's been divorce in your past, I'm telling you, it can be broken when you meet Jesus. Just because you've been searching for a lifetime doesn't mean you'll have to be searching for the rest of your lifetime. When you meet Jesus, he begins to break the past, reorient your future, and something changes on the inside. But here's the thing. He doesn't, he doesn't neglect the truth of her real need. It wasn't water. Her real need wasn't physical water. She had a real inner need. And he uses water. He uses water to show the real cycle she's stuck in. He uses the well to show the fact that she's empty and she's dry. And he goes to her real, the real source of her problem is, is, this, source, uh, is this problem with man after man after man. And, and, and all that comes with it, all the brokenness that comes with it, society looking down on her and, 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 and the shame that she feels. And, and, and she says, look, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, no, you're right. You've had five husbands. The man you're with's not even your husband. Isn't it interesting that she tries to she tries to answer technically and be right, but Jesus knows the truth. He said, go get your husband. She's like, I don't have a husband. And he's like, that's right. You've had a lot of them. He knows the truth. Let me tell you something about law or about religion. It always wants to be okay with being technically right. Well, let me put it this way. It's always okay with presentation. I don't have a husband. And Jesus is saying, I know there's a problem there. Something deeper. I look good with my answer. 
but the reality is my life is broken. I look all right to, to religion, but there's something inside. There's a cycle. There's an addictive thing. There's a pattern that I really need help on. See, religion wants you to be technically right. Jesus wants for you to be free. He wants for you to be whole. He wants for you to be forgiven. He wants for you to be broken out of the cycle. And and here's the beauty of Jesus. He doesn't ignore the problem, but you don't hear a hint of condemnation. He's not condemning her. He's not angry at her. He's not frustrated. He's not like everybody else in the city saying, you're on your own then. You're on your own because you keep grabbing all our men. You go alone to that water source. That's not Jesus. Jesus comes in and says, I know you're alone. That's why I came for you. He's going so much deeper. He's going for the reason that got her here alone in the first place. And he's about to set her free. He's about to set her free. He says, six men, six men, and you're still unfulfilled, but she just met the seventh man. It's a picture. Six men. Six is the number of mankind. You've searched in mankind. You, you've never find fulfillment. You've searched in marriages. You, you, you've searched in sexuality. You, you've searched in homes. You've searched in finances. You've searched six men, and, and you're not fulfilled. But now she's met the seven man. Seventh is the number of completeness. Now that you've met Jesus, now that you've met God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to truly fulfill you. I'm going to complete you. Because here's the reality. Nothing in this world can complete us. Nothing man could ever offer could fulfill us. But the seventh man, when he arrives, he can fulfill you. He can change you. He can restore you. you. He can begin a recovery process in you. And you know what he promises? He promises living water. But he even says this, that will begin to spring up in your life, leading to eternal life. In other words, there's a process to this. He doesn't just promise eternal life. He promises a well that begins to spring up on the inside. I used to be filled with anger and violence, but, but all of a sudden when I met Jesus, something else is beginning to spring up on the inside of me. I used to have a spirit of depression over my life, but when I met Jesus and I got the living water, it just began to... Sp- Some people in this place, you're, you're holding on to eternity, but I'm telling you there's an even greater promise or there's another promise. It's not just eternity that will, will, will set you free. God has something to well up on the inside of you, even right now. He can begin to change the inside of you, even right now. And so, and so, so Jesus tells her exactly what she's really dealing with. He loves her. He forgives her in that moment. And, and, and you see her kind of get nervous. She wants to change the subject real quick. She says, uh, ah, I, I perceive that you are a prophet. You know, you just told me about all of my past and issues. You know, prophets always like to tell you the worst parts of you. I could perceive that I used to get nervous when prophets would come to our church. So I know this dude's going to say everything right in front of my mom, you know. <laughs> so my mom is always wearing bright red, sitting right in front. She wants the prophet's attention. I'm wearing all black. I'm standing in the back, <laughs> hiding behind the pole. And he says, is there a Jordan here? And I'm praying, let there be another Jordan here. She says, I perceive that you're a prophet. You know what I love about this? Like, she even starts using, like, mystical language. Ah, I perceive that you're a prophet. She's using, like, prophetic language. She instantly turns, you know, into, like, this prophetess. Like, I perceive that you know, like, you can't find the humor in this. I think it's hilarious. She instantly starts getting super spiritual. I perceive that you are a prophet. Yeah, this is what people do with me all the time when they find out I'm a pastor. You know, they're one way, they're cursing, they're going, and then they find out I'm a pastor and they say, oh, father, father. 
I'm so sorry, Father. And I always say, you are forgiven, my son. I release thee. And then they always want to ask me spiritual questions. You know, they're always like, just tell me, what do you believe about pre and post destination? What do you believe about the second coming of God in Romans chapter eight and the Matthew 24 and, and, and the, 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 the end times? And, and what, do you, what do you believe? And, and it's like, uh, what do you believe? You know, like they always want to ask really theological questions about me. What, what about good versus evil and the morality of, of, of humanity and, and, and where we find ourselves today in this place in society and in place of time? And it's like, you're not making any sense. It's just funny how much they change. And they always want to kind of redirect, you know, away from the previous kind. And that's what she's doing. She instantly kind of changes. Now she's trying to put on, you're a prophet, so let me put on my best prophet face. You know, let me put on my best spiritual face. And let me, let me move the conversation away from my problems. And let me move it over to what spiritual people like to talk about. Theology. And she says, seeing that you're a prophet, who's right? Because the Samaritans, they believe that we worship on the temple of Mount Gerizim. And the Jewish people believe that you worship on Mount Zion. And this is the source of the racism and the anger and the feuding and the bloodshed in our societies. So tell me, who's right? Because religion always wants to be right. Who's technically exactly specifically right in the place we worship and in the way that we worship? In Jesus, he supersedes these answers. I love that he always goes above mankind's little tiny questions. And he says, look, it's not about where, it's about who. It's not about what you do, it's about who you're worshiping. He says the time is coming and it's here even now where it doesn't matter what temple you worship in because Jesus is about to make Christians the living temple and his spirit is about to reside within us. In other words, you is the church, and where you walk, you bring the spirit. In other words, you're the water in the well, and and from you comes the spirit of God. And you're not the source, he's the source, but he begins to reside on the inside of you. In other words, you don't have to go to a specific place, pray a specific prayer, do a specific thing in a certain order to reach God. He says, I've come for you wherever you're at, wherever you're coming from, whatever your past is, I'm come with grace upon grace that you can come before the throne of God boldly in time of needs. I'm here for you because you couldn't come to me. It doesn't matter what temple you went to, you were filled with sin. It doesn't matter how you approached, you couldn't be pure enough. It had to be Jesus that came to humanity. Had to be God that came to us. He says the time is coming, even now where it doesn't matter where you worship, but that the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. He is the truth and he pours out his spirit. And he says, and God is looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. He's looking for people like you and I. He's looking for us to just love Jesus. He's looking for us to just be thankful. He's looking for no more than just our authentic, real worship. And he opens up that we can begin to worship that way, not just in any... Not just in this place, but in any place. He says, he says, I've come here to break down the walls of where and what, and I've come here to pour out my spirit on all people. In one sentence, what Jesus is doing is, is eliminating the source of racism in those countries. In one sentence. 
I just want you to know, when Jesus' spirit gets involved, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter what tribe or what tongue you come from, he breaks that because every tribe and every tongue and every eye will see that Jesus Christ is Lord. He unites all people. And this is why in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, you will be my witnesses, he says, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And he already went to Samaria. And he's bringing Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria together. But he doesn't stop there. And he says, into the ends of the earth. That all people from all places and all backgrounds might come together under the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That we are united by him and him alone. That he is what brings us into family into community, and he's bringing this woman ostracized by her community into his community. And the community of Jesus Christ is more powerful than any other community built by mankind. And the doors are wide open to his community. And he says, I've come to eliminate those old temples. I've come to make you the temple of the living God. You and I, he came to establish his kingdom in the hearts of mankind. It's amazing. It's amazing what he comes to do. And then he, he does one of the most incredible things of his whole ministry. He reveals to this woman that he's the Messiah. Before he reveals it to the Jewish people, before he does it on the cross, before he, he, he has a giant rally, he says it alone to this one woman that's rejected by every type of society around her. He says, I'm the one that you've been waiting for. She says, I know you're going to bring it together when the Messiah comes. He says, the Messiah has arrived. I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm the one you've been praying for. I'm the one that you've been hoping for. And I'm going to begin to bring all people unto myself. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He's amazing. He came to her. He'll come to us. Came to her. He'll come to you. The Bible says the disciples arrive on the scene. And they see him speaking to her. And they're, they're confused. Because this shouldn't be happening. The Bible says they marvel that he's speaking to a woman. I like to think of it like uh, because they're nerds and they don't know how to talk to girls. <laughs> now they're shocked because they know this is a no-no. But here she is receiving what she desperately needed that she couldn't find in any other man or in any other society. She finds it in Jesus. More, more should I say Jesus brought it to her. The Bible says she leaves her water at the well and runs back into the village. And she begins to tell her testimony saying, come and see a man that told me everything I've ever done. At the beginning of this story, her testimony brings shame upon herself. But at the end of her story, once she's met grace, she's using her testimony to bring others to Jesus Christ. Because when you meet Jesus, the shame gets knocked off you. Forgiveness gets put in you. Boldness begins to rise out of you. And you have a story that becomes an invitation. I overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. Your story is a gift God has given you, not to hide or be ashamed of, but to bring to those who once judged you, who once cast you out, who once said you were less than, could never be vindicated. Jesus says, I am your vindication. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. What? Sin, death, shame, and the grave. And what gets released? Rivers of living water. She leaves the thing she physically came for because she got what she spiritually needed. And the Bible says that all of the people in that town began to believe because of her testimony. They haven't even met Jesus yet. 
He turned this woman of poor reputation into a revival evangelism in one conversation. It's what he comes to do with us. And he used the thing that mankind looked down on as an instrument to save mankind. And the Bible says the whole town began to believe in her testimony. And she brings them to Jesus. Make no mistake, Christian, this is what you're called to do, to bring people to Jesus. I pray that you set your story free. I pray that you share in incredible levels. I pray that you're never quiet, nervous, afraid. I pray you, you're bold about the grace that you've tasted. And even us as a church, as we're heading into Easter, this is a, this is a moment where the people of the world are open and searching again for something related to God. And I beg you, leave the physical things for three weeks. Forget about the mortgage for one moment. Forget about the job and the promotion for a minute. Could you go to those that desperately need eternal life? Could you tell your story and begin to share? Because I'm believing that even us as a church could bring the gospel of Jesus from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but that we could broadcast it to the ends of the earth. And I'm praying that our stories will begin to reach nations we've never, ever gone to. They're going to touch ears that we never physically speak to, but they're going to hear our stories and they're going to see what God's doing through us. And I believe many are going to come to know Jesus through our story. And the Bible says that they came up and they heard Jesus for themselves. And they invited Jesus into their town. And they began to believe in Jesus. And the end of the story, they turn to the woman and they say, we no longer believe just because of your testimony, but we've heard for ourselves. And we believe he's the savior of the world. It started with her, but it ended with the whole village having an encounter with him. I pray God can use us like he used this incredible woman. And I pray God begins to fill us like he filled this woman. I pray God begins to restore us like he restored this woman. I pray that God encounters us like he encountered this woman. That shame gets knocked off you. And the spirit begins to dwell within you.